You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. And in this episode, we're going to recap on the recent Australasian Simulation Congress held here on the Gold Coast in 2019. This is going to be a couple of conference floor interviews, as well as some lessons learned from Ben, Jesse and Vic. So happy listening. You're listening to Simulcast. So the first place I always look for wisdom is, of course, Ben Simon. So I asked Ben to do a little recording of some of his take-home messages from the Australasian Simulation Congress, thoughtful as always. Mm, So when I think about my, you know, top few lessons learned from Simulation Congress 2019, I think there are a couple of things that stood out for me. One big highlight of the conference was definitely Komal Bajaj's uh, change agency toolbox. And it really made me think a lot, uh, even just within simulation design, about the importance of co-designing change, of distributing power, and, and really very much uh, continuing to make me check a lot about thinking very hard about the why of what am I doing, what educational intervention are we trying to make here, and how is it going to effectively create change. I really enjoyed Jess Stokes Parish's moderation of a debate on moulage. Um, In particular, I really appreciated some perspectives on the importance of moulage from the learner's perspective as opposed to the educationist design perspective. and actually, the really big thing that I took away from that debate was uh, Namat Al-Saba's very moving critique of moulage done pretty grotesquely uh, when it comes to representing the elderly sometimes, uh, really striking a big contrast between that and working with age-appropriate uh, simulated participants and uh, giving, again, a good think about the hidden curriculum and message that we're sending about the dignity of elderly patients. Uh, that was one that really stuck with me, both because I thought it was a well-constructed argument, uh, but two, because I could see uh, the genuine care and concern uh, that Namat has for that issue. And I found it very personally uh, memorable, uh, moving and thought-provoking. I loved Rob Peden's uh, little bit of takedown on the current state of the speaking up for safety movement. I know that's a little bit of me wanting to hear what I already think, uh, but really just not in terms of speaking up for safety being wrong, uh, but about the way that we have reduced and packaged it into a checkbox that makes it an essentially meaningless acronym and educational exercise without a lot of emphasis on true communicational transparency or any message targeting those at the top of hierarchies to focus on listening. Uh, so I really enjoyed that that was part of the conversation, uh, along with the MATA team's sharing of their uh, speaking up with good judgment strategies, which I think emphasize a lot more about communicational transparency. Uh, and then I think in general, look, uh, Sim Congress made me reflect a lot about the state of simulation education in Australia. I think that we have an incredible density of homegrown talent and watching so many of my friends and colleagues present really beautifully was an absolute highlight of the three days. I do think, however, that in order for simulation culture to thrive and grow over the next decade, we're really going to think, need to think very hard about our relationships with the rest of the hospital ecosystem. I think that we're reaching a level of maturity now where we need to think less about sim in our own right as a unique 
entity and really thinking much more about how we integrate with the hospital as a whole, whether that's as a tool for quality and safety or whether that's, um, again, teaming up with the educational team or whether we're thinking more about clinical event debriefing um, and impacting change at the coalface. And I think uh, just bringing it back to Comal's question on thinking very hard on the why, I think we've got to always just continually reflect on how our educational interventions are actually going to change patient outcomes. Thanks. You're listening to Simulcast. And I'm here with Tash Yates, who is one of my work colleagues, uh, who's just presented a really interesting talk on the work she's done on thinking about how medical students' resilience can be fostered, developed, improved uh, through simulation training. So, Tash, tell us about you first. Sure. Well, I live here on the Gold Coast, um, so I didn't have to travel very far. Um, I work at Bond University part-time and also practicing GP. Um, but my full-time job is actually uh, looking after my four little kids. Excellent. So you started by exploring the concept of resilience, and that's almost become a bit of a dirty word, but um, maybe you can just sort of tell us a little bit about what's the problem and what's the sort of concept that you were trying to get at. Sure. So the resilience, as you say, has become a bit of a buzzword. I think um, it's used in in different contexts, sometimes almost as a bit of a stick to beat over people's heads to say you're not coping means you're not resilient enough. Um, but certainly uh, on the flip side, we, we have um, discovered in the last few years in the healthcare community as well as in the broader workplace community that resilient people actually do do better than people who don't have resilience. So they have less burnout um, and less mental health issues and less suicide. So that's probably one of the reasons why it is being talked about a lot and, and being brought into the workplace um, environment as well. Mm-hmm. So the idea is medical students will have to deal with difficult situations and the ones you started to narrow in on were in particular interpersonal conflict at work, whether that's with patients, other team members, are uh, their colleagues. And so this will be a reality. And so how do we have some coping strategies in order to deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, in the healthcare setting, we every single day deal with conflict, um, whether it's overt or, or more subtle. And resilience is going to help us personally, but it's also going to help us be better workers. So it's going to help us to work better in teams. It's going to help us to be more empathetic towards our patients and actually ultimately um, get our patients better outcomes, which is what we're all here for. Mm. So you designed some scenarios uh, that involved some conflict and including a patient who uh, was angry um, or who's disrespectful uh, and one where there was a, a uh, another staff member. And this is pretty tricky, isn't this balance between you don't want to stereotype versus at the same time you want to have an authentic thing. And I suppose some of this was about preparing the students and the faculty for this being an explicit goal. Can you just tell us how you found that? Sure. So we wanted to choose a scenario that was fairly um, truthful, fairly real life, because we wanted to actually to be translatable. We didn't want the students to see this as maybe one thing that something that will one day happen to them. Um, and so we talked with a lot of colleagues about a range of different options, and we did fall on the, the scenarios you've described um, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, every single person we spoke to has faced scenarios like that, not just once, but many times. But also there were the kind of things that you can ramp up fairly 
easily, um, depending on how people are coping. And the whole point of the scenarios was to expose uh, the students or the participants to a difficult scenario and then get them to the point that they felt really a bit out of their depth, a bit uncomfortable. Um, so that's why we chose those scenarios. Mm-hmm. And then as you described uh, the debriefing, you very got us to very specific, and I was involved in this, but very specifically focus on coping strategies uh, and on different ways, I guess, of thinking about this, which uh, it's very tempting for us just to vent when we have one of these experiences and start to apportion blame and attribution on other people. And fortunately, Ben's here to explore these concepts a little more. But uh, for us everyday practitioners... Uh, Tash, it seems like that was actually pretty gratifying because in when you went and did your follow-ups with the students, they actually went, ah, oh, there are different ways of thinking about the world. Yeah, sure. And I think that was one of the, the most exciting parts of the findings that the students actually did um, demonstrate that they had recognised it's important to change your perspectives and so they need a change in mindset um, but also they needed to have some active ways that they could cope with these kind of things in the future so it wasn't just about um, as you say venting um, it was actually about saying well what will I do next time and even practising some, some ways of phrasing conversations or, or things that they could actually do. Yeah. So again, although you did do some quantitative uh, measures, it seemed ultimately it was a bit difficult to kind of say you're good or bad at resilience and then prove it was uh, better. And I guess that's one of the struggles though, isn't it? Trying to convince people about the benefit of this kind of thing. Sure. And look, resilience falls under the kind of big umbrella of non-technical skills and non-technical skills, also known as soft skills, um, which is a total misnomer because these are not soft at all. These are really hard. Um, they difficult to teach. They're actually often difficult to quantify. Um, so I think that's often why they we just don't go there um, as medical educators. But they're really important skills. So yes, we did try to um, measure them, um, I guess, and, and see if we could have any measurable numbered effect. But at the end of the day, as you say, it was really the, the discussions that we had that gave us the best insights into what was going on with the students. Mm. Ben, we've had a few chats about non-technical skills, thoughts, questions? Well, I think the thing that excites me about what you've talked about is that um, a lot of the time my cynicism with regards to resilience training is is that um, a common approach seems to be to increase support rather than challenge the people who need to build resilience. And, and the sort of the skills teaching that you've described to me both highlights um, an experience that is designed to deliberately be challenging. Uh, but then secondly, it sounds like from the focus of your debrief um, – that it's really about digesting and processing the experience and then reframing. And I think wellness in general is is less about teaching people to be happy and find their joy at work. It's really about the digestion of emotion and understanding the experiences and uh, intense emotions that we face in a critical care environment and then processing them in a healthy way, letting them sit with us but not take over us. And so I think that really excites me. It's almost like he could have given the talk for you. Absolutely. And in fact, that actually um, probably dovetails into a really important point that I think it's worth making, and that is about the definition of resilience. Because what you so beautifully said is that it's about the way that you think and it's the way that you behave. Um, but it's not um, thinking and behaving in such a way that you can just 
continue to be the same person you always were. When you go through something difficult, actually you should grow from that experience. You should actually become a better person through that experience. And when we're talking about resilience um, in healthcare setting, that is what we mean. We mean growth through adversity, not just bouncing back from adversity. And I suppose if we were people listening to this going, that sounds like a great idea, uh, <clears throat> you did, though, make some emphasis about how you had to be a bit careful. What advice would you give people who are interested in uh, taking this up other than getting in contact with you? <laughs> sure. So really, if you think about resilience as being building up a muscle, if you were to suddenly go to the gym where you haven't been at the gym for many years and decide that you were going to push some heavy weights, you would actually hurt yourself. And it's the same with resilience. If we're wanting to build up this skill, we need to make sure that we're only going to be exposed to enough challenge to be able to get to the next level. And so, of course, as educators, um, if you are going to design something like this for students or whoever it is that you're educating, you need to make sure that what you're putting them through is enough to build them but not to break them. And that is a challenge and certainly wasn't something that I did it, the whole team did it, and we had a lot of um, discussion. We, we also had to get it past the ethics committee who asked some great questions about it, and we made sure that we had a huge safety net. Psychological safety, absolutely imperative through the whole process. Excellent. Well, what a great uh, program. Thanks very much, and congratulations on your presentation. Thank you very You're much. listening to Simulcast. So I'm here on the conference floor with Ian Summers, great friend of Simulcast. Uh, also got a new job in simulation, which we might get to in a minute. How are you, Ian? I'm very fine. Thank you, Vic. Great to see you again. Yes. Now, it's been a good couple of days. Can you give me a sense of what's been one or two highlights for you? Uh, so a number of highlights. I think always there's highlights of what goes on in the sessions and highlights of what goes on in the conversations around it. Uh, and certainly that's a big part of being at a conference like this, where they come from all across Australia. Uh, some highlights. Uh, Kamal speaking, day one, plenary. Um, focusing on the why uh, as well as the what and the how. And that was just a, a nice way of centering what we do back on where it all designs from, the, the mm -hmm, patient mm -hmm. care. So if we are uh, writing a scenario the, or designing a program, yeah. what are we actually trying to achieve? Yeah, and I think even, even bigger than that, um, it's sometimes easy to get distracted when you're setting plans for the future. Um, to have it centred on your looking to improve patient care, you're looking to support clinicians in, again, supporting patient care, and mm -hmm. you're looking to educate uh, new SIM faculty and, mm -hmm. and develop staff and mm -hmm. develop net networks and collaboration. Yeah, all that social capital stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So keeping the eye on the main picture as mm -hmm. I get caught up in the details over the next few months, I think yeah. it's going to be important. Uh, other highlights. I think probably has to be Steph Barwick and the MARTA Education Group with the unicorn statement at the start of her talk about testing everything. Yeah. You know, getting to the stage where there's an expectation that there's no new procedures, no new buildings, uh, that everything comes through a SIM process. Yeah, and I think uh, so. for listeners, that's uh, Stephanie Barwick, Melanie Barlow and others in the team at Mater Education who I know would be happy to be contacted, but they really did present some amazing stuff about how they're so embedded in their organisation now, testing things before they go online, whether it's, as you say, processes, procedures and people. Yes, mm. and I guess that comes with a big responsibility in that you therefore need to be efficient in your testing procedures and robust mm -hmm. because you presumably would have the ability to hold up yeah. things severely. Um, but if it's working well and it clearly is for them, that sounds like a great success. Yeah. All right. And what are you going to do differently yourself? 
what am I going to do differently? Uh, there was some great suggestions coming from not sessions but chat. Uh, one of them was around about how to build sustainability into mm-hmm. a system. And again, as I think about the future, looking at how to make yourself indispensable to the financial side of your organisation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and a question came and a conversation came with Casey Waxman, who's across from the States, about is it feasible to expect a simulation service to make money for an organisation and her thought about um, really targeting cost reduction and putting a financial um, savings on your work so that the organisation respects its sort of savings rather than from the profit that comes in. Yeah, and Komal Bajaj mentioned that too in her ROI game, mm. which you can certainly also find details about online, and they've published about that, this return on investment for simulation mm. and giving a bit of a framework about how we do things that add value, but also how we demonstrate that. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, Ian, uh, I know it's been announced on Twitter and many other places, but you're now the director of Monash Simulation, uh, which is obviously an incredibly exciting challenge. Yes. And I, I imagine you've had a bit of time to reflect on where you're going with that as you start that uh, while you've been here. Some yeah, thoughts? very much so. So part of it is, is the feeling of being... Uh, both excited and overwhelmed, which is probably a little bit of insight, I suspect, into mm-hmm, the fact mm-hmm. that it is a huge job. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that, Ian. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much for talking to us today. Great. And uh, we'll look forward to a bit more of the conference yet, including your session tomorrow. Excellent. Good to see you as, as always, Vic. Thanks. You're listening to Simulcast. So, Simulcast listeners, I take absolutely no responsibility for the 80s music playing in the background for that interview with Ian Summers, uh, but enjoyed it nonetheless. All right, in closing out this podcast, a few of my own thoughts. Uh, firstly, obviously, kudos to the organisers, Sharon Clipperton, Jan Roche, Jess Stokes Parish, and many more. Well done to organising a great event uh, at the Gold Coast. One of my take-homes, I want to come back to something Ben Simon said, and that was a reflection on uh, Stephanie Barwick's presentation about integrating with the rest of the hospital and really thinking about how simulation works as a service to help with commissioning new facilities, embedding new processes, exploring the challenges that we have in healthcare and the role that simulation might play in that is one of the things that is keeping me excited uh, in the field. The uh, if just a couple of little follow ups. So, if you wanted to revisit the things that happened at Sim Congress, by all means, go onto Twitter and search back through hashtag SIMCONGRESS19, and you'll find there's plenty of highlights and uh, brief messages there from the variety of people who were attendees. In terms of next steps for Sing Congress, uh, they will be running a number of satellite events that Simulation Australasia over the next year or so with the next Sim Congress in two years' time. So if you want an update on that, go to the Simulation Australasia website, which is simaust.com, or follow them on Twitter, which is at simaustralasia or listen in here to Simulcast. And finally, while we are talking conferences, I wanted to just uh, highlight three that are coming up next year that Simulcast listeners might be interested in. And just as an idea, if you miss some of my uh, references to websites, I will put them all in the notes accompanying this episode. But the first one coming up is IMSH, the International Meeting for Simulation in Healthcare, which is the US-based 
uh, event that's on in San Diego from the 18th to the 22nd of January, and that's uh, accessible via the ssih.org website. The second one you might want to consider is CSAM. That's the European Simulation Society meeting. That will be in Milan this year, June 17 or 2019. Sounds like a bit of a hardship posting. And you can access that one by going to sesam-web.org. That's CSAM. And uh, finally, particularly for those in New Zealand, but I say Australians, it's great to have a nice local thing to go and visit, is uh, NZASH. So this is the New Zealand uh, Society meeting, which will be on next November, and that is accessible by nzash.co.nz. So just some things to think about. I certainly think conferences are a great way for us to share uh, validate uh, and maybe provoke us into thinking about new ways in our simulation practice. So congratulations again to the organise and here is signing off for Simulcast. Simulcast, 